3: Hello and welcome to another, yet another Sharp reunion. You guys absolutely adore these. I think this is the eighth one we've recorded. And to be frank, it's one that definitely the historians and the fans really wanted us to do because we have reached Sharp's gold, which is bonkers, but nonetheless still absolutely lovable like all of the other episodes. And we've got a great lineup with us today inevitably led by Jason Salkey, who has been beavering away to find fellow cast members. How are you doing, Jason?
4: I'm very well, and again, very happy.
3: I'm loving your modest flag behind you.
4: The <laughs> well, you missed a modest t-shirt.
3: Yeah, excellent. <laughs> We've gone from <laughs> Lenin flags to flags of yourself. I like this. We've progressed. We also have with us the outstanding Hugh Ross, of course, Mungo Monroe. Hello, Hugh.
2: Hello, good morning.
3: How is lockdown treating you?
2: Not too badly. mean, yeah. quite sane. Yeah.
3: We also have with us Abel Folk El Casco. Hello, Abel.
5: Hello, hello. Where, yes,
3: whereabouts are you enduring COVID in Spain?
5: Well, yeah. Well, it's it's being quite hard, but uh, fortunately we we can keep working a little bit. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm traveling from from Galicia to Barcelona because I was I had a production there of theatre. I had to to fix something and I'm traveling back to Barcelona.
3: We're not (laughs) remotely jealous of you now because we're all sitting (laughs) in rainy England, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've just shown us wonderful Spanish countryside. Mm -hmm. And now you're the least popular (laughs) person in the room. Okay, so we have Peter Eyre with us as well, Dada Nugent.
6: Good morning.
3: Whereabouts are you and how is lockdown treating you?
6: It's kind of monotonous because I spent seven weeks in lockdown in New Zealand and now I'm doing it again here. Oh. But, you know, there you go.
3: It is a bit first world's problems, isn't it? We're all healthy. Um, it's, monota- it's monotonous,
6: but, you know, you have to be very ingenious about how you c- carry on in your life. Mm.
3: But the theatre yeah.
6: has disappeared.
3: They have put £1.5 into the arts this week, haven't they? I'm sure I read uh, one music venue in particular, famous music venues, got a million and a half this week to try and keep it going through this next week.
6: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: We'll,
2: we'll see what happens. Sort of sharp for that. Yeah, the freelancers aren't getting much.
3: We also have with us Ian Shaw, Lieutenant Ayers. Hello, how are you doing?
7: Very well, thank you. Nice to be here.
3: And you are all shut up in Brighton, aren't you?
7: That's right. Yeah.
3: Outstanding. I just, I'm completely envious of everybody who isn't shut up in southwest London with just the grey sky and nothing interesting happening outside. (laughs) (laughs) We're also hoping to welcome Jake Abraham in a bit, Deserter uh, Deserter Donkin, but we also have with us, inevitably, because it wouldn't be a sharp reunion without them, Marcus Cribb, who I'm pretty sure is at work. Are you, Marcus? Or are you on remembrance duty?
8: On remembrance duty. (laughs)
3: Outstanding. Marcus is, of course, one of the managers at Absolute House. We also have Zach with us, Zach White, our Napoleonic historian. Hello, Zach.
0: Hi, Alex. How are you doing?
3: How's your face?
0: My <laughs> face is all right. I wasn't expecting that question when I was oh, prepping no, for this the, last the night. The last
3: time we had you on, you had blood pouring out of your face. You I would say, yes, fade, yes. Fade, yes. Um,
0: shaving fails, yes.
3: Yeah, outstanding. Well, at least you're not bleeding. And we also have with us another Down the Pub regular, Matt Bone, who we love and who is here um, on the understanding, obviously, that no one ever gets a word in Edgeways that isn't one of the cast. Sharp's Gold was what made him fall in love with history, and he was just so excited. He just wants to bask in all of your greatness. So, hey, Matt
1: i'm I'm just here geeking out to an incredibly high degree, so th- thank you so much for having me but yes i've i've got I've got me my copy here as well, which of course doesn't can't show up on Matt lovely to meet you um you have heard that I'm writing a book <laughs> I've, i i i have i have i have may have ordered two autographed copies, one for myself and one, one for my father. Then, then, I, then I must send you a signed photograph. Thank you Very so
4: much. <laughs> um, Alex, Alex will tell you that there's a little drinking game uh, certain fans play that the the whenever Jason or someone mentions my book, they take a shot. So that's why we might get a few In early. <laughs> other other <laughs> than publicising the shit out of it. You know, that's what. yeah, it what's is,
3: it, what's it called, thing, Jason?
4: <laughs> uh, it's called From Crimea with Love and it's published by Unbound. You can pre-order now coming out July the 7th.
3: and and just for shits and giggles just say the words i'm writing a book again so we can get them hammered right at the beginning
4: i'm writing a book my name is jason salkey great thank you for everyone coming on um gold is a very interesting episode because it's much maligned i was explaining this in the pre-chat um because of certain legal problems with the mcgann to bean switch when sean replaced paul mcgann they couldn't do one of the episodes scheduled for that year. We were supposed to do Rifles, Eagle, Gold. Gold had to be dropped. They had written the script. They had cast everyone. um, And uh, so basically they owed the money to those actors unless they did a different script. So they chose to do a different script instead. And that's why it's so different from the book. And um, those who know the books say, this is rubbish, it's a travesty. But if you don't know the books, it's a great adventure story. It's scary, um, It's written by the guy who wrote uh, The Quater Mass Experiment, and that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And I was just watching the other day, and, and it, it, it does, it stands up as a great adventure story, aside from the sharp canon, but it's also a good sharp story. So it's an interesting episode that we're about to talk about, and I, I actually like it as one of my my favorites to make, actually.
3: Yeah, do you know what you say maligned? I don't know if that's quite the right word because people don't like it and don't watch it because they don't like it. They just seem to chuckle and go, well, yeah, it's not the book, but it's still sharp. I mean, even Sean listed it, didn't he, as his least, when we had him on, he said it was his least favourite because yeah. there was just too much going on. But we've got some really interesting questions come in from people to start us off about why it differed. I mean, so we've covered before, um, why there had to be such a grossly different script and it was contractual because Paul McGann left and they couldn't stick to the original script without paying a fortune. One guy did ask actually, Jason, do you know, Tom Hutchinson says, how much were you looking at? Do you know what the cost was to use the original script that made them Um, go, oh, no way, we're not paying that?
4: I don't know. Or or the only thing I know is that each episode cost £800,000 an hour to shoot. Wow. Yeah. Now it's not just the use of the script, but it was the paying of the actors. They'd have to pay them twice, so so Patrick Malahide and Bill Patterson would have to have gotten double bubble. Now on Sharp, that's a no, 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 no. They, uh, and especially on the third year, what happened? On the second year, they really blew their wad on Company. Yeah. It was the it was the longest shoot, and they spent the most money on it. And it's there on the screen. It does look amazing. I'm not sure if you guys saw Sharp's Company ever. I don't know. It's the one where they stormed the walls of Baderhoff. There's a massive set. There's a, a massive cast. La, 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 la. So they were forced, obviously, to cut back in year three. So that's why they couldn't go and splurge again on all those actors. So They got they, some great, they got some fine actors in. Ian Shaw, Peter Eyre, and Ross, la, is... la, la, la. So they yeah. did.
3: And like you say, it's not like anyone, I mean, so for instance, if I was going to rewatch the whole of Game of Thrones, I just wouldn't watch season eight because it was toss and rubbish and was, it just made me feel like I'd wasted seven, eight years of my life. I don't skip this when I rewatch Sharp at all. And I don't think anyone does. They're just curious as to how it came about. So I'd, let's start with Marcus. You're going to give everybody, because this work really lasts. Uh, good last time, and it means you get a word in edgeways it, before all the actors take over. Uh, so, tell us about the historical context of what was the point of Sharpe's gold with the book.
8: So, the book's really—I mean, again, it's really different. So, in, in the book, Sharp's basically on a special mission that Bernard Cornwall writes for the the ninety fifth to get a load of gold back to basically fund the building of the uh, lines of Torres Vedras, which was this uh, like a uh, completely impregnable line not far out of Lisbon that uh, the French army could never capture uh, the capital, and which in, in history worked really well. Uh, the French attacked it once, and they could never go all the way up. And it was like uh, the Maginot line in the First World War. It's loads of series of adapts with trenches um, defending between them. The film goes a completely different angle with the gold, and we end up with the Aztec element of the gold. But there's some really interesting historical nuggets. Whereas in the book, um, Sharp ends up blowing up Almeida, which is one of the biggest like pre-atomic explosions. This huge gunpowder magazine that goes off. This takes a completely different angle, but the nice bits are we get some things that aren't really well represented. So we have the Provost or the uh, Staff Corps Cavalry, as they technically were. So these are the forerunners to the military police, one of the earliest ones. And uh, the Duke of Wellington actually set them up. There's always been a Provost Marshal for a few hundred years, but he set up four troops of Provosts. To uh, basically police and try to limit the amount of looting by the British and allies into Spain and Portugal. So one of these kind of like behind the scenes, it's almost like administration that you don't really get in war films because people want to run around and do all the shooting. Actually, the admin and the policing of it is a really important angle which you need to get there and you need to work with the allies. Then with the allies, you've got the guerrillas. here. Okay, we've got the Aztec angle but not all of the guerrillas in the Spanish war of uh, liberation and in Portugal were nice people. There are certainly cases where they were using horrendous warfare on both sides. Now the French committed atrocities in Portugal and Spain. It's something I'm quite, want, always want to highlight that there was horrendous, what the French did was unforgivable, but the Spanish and the Portuguese gave as good as they got. And if they captured the French, some of them would be quite willing to torture people to death. And we kind of get that insight with the, the meowing and, and the skin flaying, but actually people were castrated and left to die. And then there's also some yeah, the, the hanging, but there's a little favourite scene of mine, which is a shooting competition. And that's where we kind of get into how good is the Baker rifle against other weapons. And it's a really nice scene of um, Sharp and Ellie uh, shooting. And it was something the rifles were taught to do, which was shoot a figure of a man. And, uh, actually, like, put, hit a target. So that's a really nice nod to actually the rifles, uh, training as well, where they were taught to shoot 200 plus yards. And so that's something they would have been able to do. And then it takes a completely different turn and, uh, goes a little bit down to the horror route. But the historical nuggets are in there and they, I think they're enjoyed by the fans and the history geeks like us. There's also the intercepted message of a
4: martial salt. Remember they, intercepted messages covered with the the skin ribbon yes so yeah. that's real that's the marshal still did have his uh, messages inter- intercepted
8: or was that yeah, so um the, the napoleon's messages were actually coded and they were intercepted by uh, i can't know what, what rank he ended up i think he ended up as a general eventually but uh, major scoble scoble yeah i read about that yeah and he cracked the codes yeah pre-enigma codes they were written in books diaries and uh, he cracked the codes, and actually, eventually, ended up as the um, the head of the staff corps caverns, the forest. But uh, he was a adjutant, uh, an ADC, and he did. He specialised in staff work, and he got his head around the the codes. input so, the French were knowing that the messages were being intercepted. The guerrillas are going to get them, but they didn't think they were cracking the codes. So, a bit like the U571 disaster of a film. But when the um, the Enigma code was captured it meant that the the Germans were still sending their codes and they didn't think they were being uh, cracked. And the same was happening in the Peninsular War. The British and the guerrillas were getting those codes and actually able to hear a lot more of what's happening. And that that really helped shorten the war.
3: I have to ask as well, so Zach's sitting there nodding his head because there's a a big part of what you specifically research, isn't there, Zach, that is done really, really well in gold.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was watching it just last night, actually, kind of prepping and reminding myself because it's been ages since I I last saw it and I was actually really impressed in terms of when you watch something you know that there needs to be artistic license to make the story work but actually in terms of the the raw details behind kind of attitudes to the provost depicting how Wellington has this conundrum about am I really harsh in terms of how I discipline my men to make sure that they don't start plundering when they go into France and therefore turn the population against me or not all of those things come together really neatly in a way that's put together quite kind of truthfully. I mean, I think the portrayal of Wellington is probably a touch more sympathetic. Marcus is kind of shaking (laughs) his head in, in abject fury at at my suggestion of that. Um, But you can understand why they're doing that. I mean, Wellington kind of being this, this hero figure, Um, but even little things like the pardoning of dessert is in order to make a point. Okay. So Wellington never had a, Situation where he pardoned 50 deserters in one go, as happens in, towards the end of the, um, the episode. But he was inclined when the opportunities arose to go, you know what, I'm going to get more out of making a gesture of pardoning this individual and saying, look, in the right circumstances, I will cut you some slack than to just hang everybody which is unfair on Skillicorn because he gets hung for a chicken. Those guys
4: desert, they lo- we lose 50 rifles, and they get off scot-free. It's crazy. Really. Exactly.
0: And, and this is what I found really interesting, that actually those complexities play out. And the, this is where the provost element comes in really neatly, because the provost were hated for the fact that they were incredibly harsh. They were the only people in the entire army who had the power to hang people on sight if you were caught in the act. That was it, if the provost found you. If you got caught by anybody else, you had to have a trial. And that's where you could kind of find ways to to get out of it a little bit. But the provost, they could just string you up. And there are accounts that we have of people who've been hung. And they had the particular one that strikes me is this guy who had been hung and he'd had the apple that he'd stolen rammed inside his mouth just before he died. So that as troops were marching past, they could see very clearly, look, you even take the apples and we catch you. You're going to be dead. And it created a huge amount of resentment, um, which plays out so well in terms of that dynamic between Sean's Major Sharp and Ian as Lieutenant Ayres. Speaking,
3: Speaking of, let's get to some of the actors, because David and I would like to know, had any of you read the book before you made the programme? Um, so were you aware of how much it differed? Ian?
7: I hadn't read the book, no. Uh, I knew that it was a different story. So. You know I just spoke with Tom Clegg about you know his view of of the story and and the story arc, and uh, Richard Moore was um instrumental for me mm-hmm.
3: instrumental for everyone i, I think yes yes you had you read it
2: no, I hadn't read it it was all all it all happened quite quickly with me actually i think I, I think I got the job and started it fairly quickly afterwards no I hadn't read the read the
3: <clears throat> peter
6: No, I'm
3: afraid I didn't read the book. Sorry. No, but it's it's just like as actors, I think maybe that helped because had you been trying to reconcile in your head everything you'd read with everything that wasn't happening that didn't correspond with it on set, it might have been a bit odd. Abel, had you read the books?
1: No, no,
5: no, I didn't. I I, I think uh, it it wasn't available, a version in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, and at that time, I, I couldn't read English quite well. So I didn't, I didn't.
4: Jason? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: knew you would be um, the boss. As, as
4: soon, I, I've mentioned this before, but as soon as I got the job, I bought, um, recollections of Rifleman Harris and I bought the first three novels that Sharp was going to shoot. So Rifles, Gold Eagle quickly devoured those. When I came back in the hiatus between Paul and Sean, I bought a couple more of the novels. So by the end of the first year, I'd read up to Enemy.
8: Mm-hmm. And that's
4: why I was able to go up to our executive producer and say, there's only one actor in the world that can play Hakesville. And that is. You know who I'm talking about.
8: Absolutely. The rest is
4: history. Yes, yes. Yes, so I did. I've read the books. I've read them now like three times each. I'm a nutter. I love them so much. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what then?
3: So I think this was meant for the actors, but I'd really like to ask Matt this question, seeing as this, like, you really did love this book, didn't you? Do you wish, do you look at it and just hate that they didn't do, they couldn't do the book storyline, or do you love it anyway? I, I, I love it. I, I think it, it, it's, <clears throat> it, it's not the book,
1: but it, it, it is, it stands up as a, as a good adventure film. You know, you, you've got, you know, you've, you, essentially you've got two baddies in it. You've got Ian's character who, you know, goes through the redemption of spending time with the chosen men, whichever, <clears throat> everybody better. Um, and then you've got Abel, who's just a fantastic baddie through the whole second half of the film um so it's 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 just a lot of fun um it you know it's it's a little little bit of a break from the the usual sharp episodes but you know the you know the book was the book that got me reading um so when they made the film of this I was pleasantly surprised because you know it 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 wasn't what I'd read but that meant the thing that I held really dear stayed very
3: dear oh and I, they they kind of as well for those of you so the four of you that have read the books and love the books um they want to know as well the listeners what would you have made if you picked up sharps gold and found the film plot in a bernard cornwell book would you have think he'd lost his mind
4: uh, no it's just it's the lack of a battle there has to be some big battle nearby and we have, mm. we're involved in the fringes or instrumental in it i mean the whole thing of blowing up the Almeida, all that goal was
8: so brilliant. Certainly the Almeida bit is is really good. And I, they do later when the Sharps mission, which isn't based on any of the books, the favourite episode. Of mine. Yeah. And that's got a, a huge explosion at the end uh for almost like no reason. And that's great. I love, you know, it it's it's the movie Hollywood experience. Everyone wants the, the good guys to be running away in slow motion from the explosion and win the day, right? Exactly.
1: But we
3: have some fantastic questions that have come in for Abel. I absolutely love them. A lot of people, including Gary Fowler, are obsessed with how much you suffered wearing that (laughs) armour. They said, how bad was it in the heat, dressed up like that?
5: Yeah. Well, I I had to... uh, I remember a scene that we, we shot inside of a tent, and that scene was shot... On, on a very very hot day in the middle of the afternoon with uh, i don 't know how much degrees, but very hot outside but it was it was a night scene, so they had to cover the whole tent with the black uh, black uh, fabrics and it was like a like an oven uh, uh, inside of there, and I was wearing like four uh, different uh, suits, all of them very heavy and 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 was was awful. I remember my sweat was going up over that that uh, <laughs> armor. It was, was, was very very complicated. But well, uh, we, we we survived finally, <laughs> and it looks looks like it was okay.
4: Um, in fact, A- 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 Abel, we we were when we arrived in August of 1994. There had been like three months of drought. There had been no rain whatsoever. And at one point, um, when we were shooting Gold, it was towards the end on a marching scene where we all had to wear all of our kit packs, hat. It was 94 degrees. Mm -hmm. Now, what that is in Celsius, it's 30-something, 33, 4. Yeah. It was murder. But true, Abel, you also had your your cave set. Yeah. And that was also... Covered in (laughs) curtains and deep inside, that was so warm. I remember going in there uh, for the end shoot; it was great. But yeah, it was very hot that year—hottest ever. uh, Sharp experience that that episode. Also,
5: also, also, the the, I think the 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 place where we had the set was in the middle of the of a desert. We had a long way from the from the city to there. there. There was almost anything nowhere, so it wasn't quite comfortable and uh but 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 uh, i i felt like uh, there was there was some some uh, energy in the group that made made we we super all, all these difficulties and uh, I, I i don't know but i remember that like a like a like a wonderful experience and uh also i, I didn't see the movie since a since many years ago but but i had a, a good memories of, of what i saw
4: there was a aside from making great TV, there was a lovely family element to the whole cast and crew. So, the, so you guys entering, it, I'm sure you felt it, you know, you know, and no one was like, Oh, who are these new guys? It was like, Hey, join the family. We want to make sure you're cool because we know this can be difficult being out in the Crimea.
7: So. That's so yeah. really true. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. You know, uh, from the top down, you know, Sean was, was always very um, welcoming you know, and and would speak to everybody and and you and all the chosen men. Yes, it was. Not, yeah,
8: Jason, were these, the, the cave, was that all set? Because most of the rest of the sharp is normally outside. If we're not in a barracks or in Wellington's headquarters, the chosen men are in the countryside, aren't they? But then yeah. there's, there's quite a lot of this takes place with Abel and, um, and Jane and people in, in the caves. So I'm assuming that was a, a set made.
4: Yes, that was a set that was built at Polycure Studios. I'm going to try and find a little photo of it. Um, so yeah, it was um, where where we normally take the uh, the um, the unit photo. You see, I think I might have a photo somewhere. So we we're just looking uh, at your
8: photos of the scenery, and that's something that we you must have moved locations the way you were showing us previously. Because it's just beautiful scenery that we, we see in uh, Sharp's Gold, and you, I think. Ian's character and along with a few others are like looking out over
4: stunning cliffs. Yes, those those stunning. They're sort of we mean the white mountains, the ones mm. that have the the white over kind of effect. Yeah. Yes. This this is Ian after being too long in the cave. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, that that location is called Gorsk, and it's been used a lot. <laughs> so it's it's recognisable from quite a few episodes. Sharp's enemy, where they shoot the rockets. Yeah, uh, that's that's the same. Yeah, but they do. They use the they use the locations really well in Sharp Gold. I I noticed that for the first time. They really make them look amazing. Yeah. So Belogorsk means literally white mountain. So they kind of were uh, a white over. So Natasha is telling me. But um, <coughs> while we're on the the scenery, I noticed that the the show is really song heavy as well. You notice that, Alex and
3: guys. Yeah, I do. And actually, we had a question come in about that, <laughs> um, which, and I think it's John, isn't it? Because the person wanted to know how did they pick Hagman's songs for the episodes. When they pick up the deserters, he sings "Poor Old Soldier," and it's brilliant. Always curious if he chose the song to fit the scene or if it was written and he had to learn it. It was him, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, John was the music man. He would, he would be. He's in charge. I mean, you know, if I if I sung the wrong note or I banged <laughs> the tambourine in the wrong way, he would be from me straight away jason that beat wasn't invented till 1839 <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah john john towns was defo uh, the music man he must have chosen them all then because they're all appropriate right there's the deserter song there's the poor yeah. old soldier song really and he even
8: sings a special one of uh chicken doesn't he yes <laughs> or you some he was you amazing
7: know? yeah uh, John john he also- was amazing i I, I was lucky enough to uh, work with him again on Warhorse because he was oh, the wow. music yeah. man there. So that was a very emotional um, uh, reunion with him. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal.
3: He's outstanding. And when he came on here and did he he re, what did he redo um, Over the Hills for the NHS, and really. Didn't he way back in the original lockdown? Um, Hugh. Yes. Is there a story, Sable Crow would like to know, behind the "Don't lick me, laddie" line, or did you just ad lib that?
2: Oh, that's interesting. I think, I, 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 yes, I think I probably ad libbed it. I think it was. I was given. I think I was given quite a lot of licence to to do a bit of that. Um, I hadn't long finished. I did this Clyde Barger film, Nightbreed, very not long before that, in which I was allowed to do an awful lot of ad libbing. So maybe it had gone to my head. Mm-hmm. but the, um yeah i think i think yeah
3: they also all want to know did you learn the bagpipes or were you faking it
2: i completely faked i'm afraid
3: <laughs> oh no that's devastating because someone wanted to know how long did it take you to learn them as part of your no, 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 no. <laughs> speaking of other things that people remember from the episode abel the meow um it's bonkers and people would like to know first of all one of our um listeners would like to know if you would do the meow for us right now <laughs> <laughs>
5: well, uh, well I, i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure I how to do it no 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 i i i wouldn't like to disappoint you <laughs> seriously <laughs> no maybe, worries. maybe if we all do it first sorry i'll do it first then
4: you can have the courage okay how how's it? I'll, make, I'll make a fool of myself first
8: <laughs>
3: and that's that's led um i'm not gonna force you to do the meow um nancy timmer wanted to know where did it come from it's the strangest thing ever on sharp i love it i'm a crazy yeah. cat lady though but i love it
5: i, 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 I don't know who invented it <laughs> but
3: did it say it's a
5: script it, it wasn't the script yeah it was i think i think so yeah yeah yeah
3: because then Margaret Very Brown, I think, wanted to know. So they kind of have it in their head now that this is something you were so immersed in the character that you just started meowing like a cat. And she says it made her curious about auditions for these characters. So did you turn up at the audition and meow when they were like, that's our man. It's got to be him. <laughs> <That's
5: a man>. <laughs> 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 I, I, I don't think it, it went like that, no no I, I I think I, I was uh, I, I don't remember if I did an, idea, an audition to do that because uh, uh, I think the year before of, of this movie I was doing something with uh, with uh, Muir uh, in, in Spain I think it was called a, a serial called uh, delantero. delantero all in the game or something like that
4: oh yes yeah, I, I, did that did, too. I,
5: I, I did a character in that and from that they 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 Offered me to do the cartoon <laughs> in Scar. I think it, 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 worked, it was like that how it worked.
4: And Alejandro worked on that too.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely
4: yes. I enjoyed
3: that. Nancy has another question. These are great. She says, "Can you draw? And are you artistic in other fields, much like dear old Daddy Nugent?"
6: I have, not really. I mean, I'm. I play the piano. I can sing. I can't draw
3: ah uh-huh, okay. right. like Jack Barton would also like to know, did you have any interactions with your on-screen family before shooting began that would lend a sense of realism to the distress the characters felt, or even just <coughs> around on set during shooting, or was it just a sort of show up on the final day, final scene sort of deal?
6: No, I don't think so. I can't really remember. I think, um, who played my daughter? Um, Jane, Jane Yes. Yeah. Right, that's right. I think maybe I'd met her before. Um, Rosaline Linehan. Uh, Rosalind Linehan Rosalind yeah, Linehan I love Rosalind Linehan we, we became great friends because we, we hitchhiked to Bakshi which is a famous place wow And we, we, when we drove back we hitched and she said to me um, you've got to give this driver some money I said no no I think they would find that rather offensive of course I was completely wrong <laughs> <laughs> but, but, all the things I remember about that film which is a long time ago, isn't it? First of all, a lot of my part was supposedly in Esperanto, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. So was it Esperanto or was it some gobbledygook? I don't know, but I learned it very, very accurately. I remember that. I remember also because of the contract I had, I didn't have to wait around in Ukraine for my scenes. So I flew back and forth. I flew back and forth very often. And I came in that little plane and I... Discovered Istanbul where I'd never been before. I was there about four or five times and uh, I used to come back in that little plane with all those Ukrainian doctors and teachers who were working in Istanbul as prostitutes. And each one of them, each one of them when they queued up had bought with their earnings a refrigerator or an oven or something else. So the queue for this tiny plane took hours. I remember that. And the other thing I remember is, is, when we went to where did we go to? We went to um from Simferopol, We went to what what's the yes. other y- y- I remember being woken up in the night because I thought somebody was in my room. And it wasn't there was nobody in my room, but there were the biggest cockroaches I've ever seen, which I then flung out. <laughs> um but I enjoyed the whole thing very much. I enjoyed it.
2: Did we go to Yalta in Jason on, um, and was it on battle or were we, was gold all in Simferopol? We,
4: what we did is on September the 1st, when mm-hmm. the hotel rates change in Yalta, that's when we moved down there. So ah. we, 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 on the move, we shot some scenes at Belagorsk and continued from there. So we went out to location, we packed up and went on to Yalta from location.
3: Right. So, so yeah, that was
4: on the 1st of September. So we'd gone from like the middle of August. And we shot a bit, We shot all the stuff in the cave, and that kind of stuff in Yalta at the right. Polycure Studios.
2: Yeah, I remember being such a relief to get to Yalta because it was so lovely. Comparison, comparison. Yes, lovely. Even yeah. with the, yes, quite. But I mean, the the KGB sanatorium over we in in Simferopol was hideous. Mm. And in in the <laughs> uh, in the podcast I listened to earlier this morning with the crew, they were talking about the water problem. And about how you had to take a bucket of water to splash the loo, you had to have a bucket of water in your room, and uh, and I think mineral water was flown in from Germany. And and Chris Burt wasn't Chris Burt held by the mafia one night about something rather that in order to. It, absorb- I don't know,
4: but it wouldn't surprise me. But there was a lot of mafia in that building. Yes. Yes. They moved us um, into this place called the Tavria Hotel, which is an outskirts of Simferopol, or Simply Awful, as it's been known. Um, and there were tons of sort of shell-suited mafia types yes. in the bar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were everywhere, kind of. And we were kind of protected because the, um, the service providers for Sharp were a, a group called the East-West Association. And they were like co-producers. And they were... They were pretty tough as well. So I think we're protected. But the funny thing is is Skillicorn, Phil Dowd, the guy who played Skillicorn. Yeah. He was repeatedly trying to chat up the gangster's girlfriends. He didn't know who they were. Hey, nice girl. Hey, hey, are
3: you that mafia geezer bear? Hey, hey, hey.
4: So um yeah, that was uh that was lots of mafia hanging around there. Okay
3: we have a string of questions for Ian who it turns out there are many, many sharp fans out there with massive man crushes on you. Uh, Chris oh. Etchingham says, just how devilish, devilishly handsome is he and how is it easy? Is it acting and remembering all those lines while sat on a horse?
7: <laughs> well, I am very handsome, of course, but, um, <laughs> the costume, the costume, uh, was fabulous. Um, so, um, you know, what a costume. The helmet was a, was a real issue for me actually, because they, they, they they're very uncomfortable and it would, it would often sort of slip off the head. So we sort of had to glue it to my head in the end. Um, but, um, I've ridden all my life. Um, so I was riding, we had horses when I was a kid. Um, and, I went to a posh school where they, where they had horses at the, at the school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, <coughs> yeah, I love, love horses, feel very comfortable. Um, there were a lot
3: of people that sort of reference how much you had, work you had to do with horses. So it's probably invaluable experience for you.
7: Yeah. I had a few arguments with the Russian, uh, handlers, uh, of the horses because their idea of, um, you know keeping the horses in line was to whack them on the nose
3: yeah we've had this from Brian Cox before and saying that he lost it with them for punching a horse at one stage yeah. but they seem to have been quite brutal with their with control in the animals
7: yeah yeah i mean just looking back on it you know it's just a cultural um thing they they were always surprised by my uh, anything i had to say about that because um they, they thought I was a bit mad,
0: mm.
7: you know, cause that, that's just the way they, that was the way that they were currently dealing with it, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, so remembering lines, um, on, on a horse wasn't too bad for me. The only other thing I had with the horse was, uh, which was very good. I can't remember what it was called even, but, um, it was, it was, it was very good, except one time it, it took a fancy to a mare. <laughs> while I was uh on while I was riding it. So um all of a sudden, you know, I'm um in the process of um jigging up and down, I remember. Lucky you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, there's one there's one bit though Ian, where it's brilliant. You when you when we've nicked skillicorn back from you and you hold up the chicken and you sort of yeah. Ride, lookers, and ride back. And it's like a really a fluid motion where you're holding the chicken up and riding back and forth, looking at Sharp and then riding out with your provos. It's really masterful.
3: If I can just say, Ian Johnson wanted to tell you, I loved it when you waved that chicken at Sharp, supreme defiance. P.S., you handled your horse very well. I used to teach riding, so can pick up on the failings. And he asked if you'd ridden before. But yes, that is his favorite moment, you waving the chicken at Sean Bean.
7: Well, thank you.
3: other people Richard and Dan for starters are referencing they both reckon that that punch from Sean Bean looked like it connected for real and how much did it hurt
7: well Sean is um, great at that physical um, (laughs) aspect of Acting, I wasn't quite, you know, you never quite know what you're gonna get because with Sharp, as I'm sure a lot of people have said, there's not a lot of rehearsal because there's so much going on. Uh, you know, you've got all these enormous, you know, scenes with extras in the background and everything else like that, that the, it's kind of a one take deal as uh, certainly for the actors who aren't the stars. Um, so, you know, um, with in that scene, I think he hits me three or four times, uh, throughout the film. Um, and, uh, everyone felt, I think he judged it perfectly as hard as he could hit me without actually damaging me.
4: Mm. Did they put a breast, uh, a breast pad on you though?
7: They no, did, I couldn't. think. Yes. So yeah. yeah, that, that, that's, that's the thing. So yeah.
4: Because, you but know, it he... felt,
7: it felt like you'd been in a fight and, uh, you know, I was a young actor at the time. I wasn't sure exactly how these things were always done, so um, it was a kind of an education. Uh, and I took that away as well. To you know, I would I would probably speak to the other actor a little bit more than Sean did, but he, I don't think he had time always to to do that. But <laughs> yeah, I um I I really respected because uh, I think it looks great, and I think his fight with uh, with Abel is astounding. Uh, watching that live, I was I was frightened.
3: If I could yeah, Jack Glanfield actually says, What was it like filming that final fight with um Ayres Sharp Harper in the Cave Temple, um, for Abel? And did you scare people on the set as much as some of the audience? My wife won't even watch the episode again. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, so so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was I I remember a a lot the 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 my dying shot, uh, because uh, I think it was Dara who killed me with uh, with the kind of a uh, gun with six six bullets at the same time. Mm-hmm. Remember that?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has actually. Andy Wilson has said that is the best death scene in any shop. Sorry, Jason. Um oh, and they good. say, did you plan it yourselves, or was that all in the script?
8: That's um, it. We lost you lost, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Oh, it's no, true! In fact, in fact, in the scene,
4: uh, Dara and Sean have to kill uh, uh, El Casco. It's not just one of them; they both have to gang up on Abel.
5: He's so hard. Mm. <laughs> well, no, no, was was very scary for me. Very scary for me that that moment. Yeah,
4: they also had the the horror the horror film music going all the way through. That it really helped, and the and the blurry focus and the shaky focus because. Um, uh, Dada and and uh, Ellie are tripping, aren't they? They're tripping on that powder that gets blown into their face.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's all very, yeah, yeah. very scary.
3: And we did boost Ian's ego, so I must tell you that several of the lady viewers have uh, wanted us to tell you that they respect how you were so evil yet looking so good in the episode. Thank oh. mm-hmm.
5: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much no i i don't know i, I mean I, I didn't try i i didn't really try to act the the uh, the obvious bad guy i mean uh, i think i think it's it's, quite, it's, it's a quite a mysterious character because you you don't really know where it comes from even in spain it's it's it's, it's very surprising to find something azteca coming from Mexico mm-hmm. in doing things in 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 that period in Spain i i i i don't know historically if this is this is uh, possible or not but uh, but i, I think the, the the part the good part of the character for me was that it, it wasn't too evident i mean uh, i i didn't have to act as a bad guy to be a bad guy and 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 i think i remember that really, it really it's 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 an annoying character without acting as a bad guy you know uh, i don't know if i explained myself i'm so sorry but, no no uh,
3: absolutely.
5: Uh, you know I I have the image that sometimes I feel like uh, good good feelings in 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 movie's history are the ones that uh, are lovable as well as awful, you know. Uh, for example, um, it comes to my mind uh, the the Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. uh of the Lamps where where he's he he's absolutely lovable is 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 the guy who you would like to live with but you know that he's going to eat you <laughs> and, and that's Arithmetic. that's what that's a <laughs> wonderful that's way to 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 uh, <laughs> show some some bad guy you know i think well, that's,
2: so- that's the tribute to your acting of it isn't it because you obviously played you played against the badness which makes it more interesting
5: yeah i think so i think so yeah, yeah, once I, I had to do a character that was a terrorist uh, from ETA and, uh, and he was also a m- meloman He loved music. Yeah, yeah. It was the main thing in his life. And the the hardest thing was, was to try to find this, this marvelous, uh, sensibility of the character, which is part of a kind of an artist, but it's very, uh, very, very uh, magnetic. Uh, You love it. And and at the same time, it's it's some guy that have the the real conviction that he has to kill people to be happy. You know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's very contradictory, but it's, it's, but it's nice. It's nice. It's a good material to work with, you know?
0: Yeah.
3: you um people would like to know there were a lot of questions about your sort of freedom of, to make the role because it wasn't in the books um which we touched on before but they want to know how did you get ready to play the role because you didn't have anything like that to go from and did you consciously go out of your way to make your character unlike Hogan or Nen?
2: well as I say it all happened quite quickly that I was, I, I, I was quite taken you know really one of those things that happened quite quickly before I knew it I was on the plane to Simferopol, um, and so I hadn't, and, and so I, I hadn't actually seen any of the other um, of the first or second series at the time. So I didn't really know what had been established beforehand. And I think I just kind of, um, I, th- I think when I went to to meet Tom and and uh, the Hubbards who were casting it, and, um, I just took it off the page and I instinctively came up with something that was actually what Mungo Monroe ended up. Being quite like, mm. so I mean, it was not. I, I, I don't actually even know this. I mean, that because the character, the, the, fundamentally, the fun, it was a functionary, wasn't it? The, the character who is played by three different actors in three different series, mm-hmm. and and I mean, different characters.
4: We, they are different characters,
2: though.
3: Yeah, but it's like that role of intelligence that officer, role, into, yeah.
2: yeah, exploring yeah. officer, exploring. In, officer. in the story, the the function is the same, really, isn't it? Yes, basically. yes, basically. So, um. I mean, I think we probably all were allowed to bring our own take on it. But are the are the are other? This is terrible the ignorance of me. Are there are the other two characters in the books, or, or is... yes,
4: Hogan and Nairn are in the books. Yeah, in fact, Hogan goes through all of the books. Okay, I think Nairn is just uh, Marcus. If you're correct, me, is, is Nairn just in Company and Enemy, and yeah, Nairn's at the end.
8: Hogan goes all the way through and dies of the big the fever. Um, yeah, so we see a lot more of. Brian Cox's character. Um, yeah. and, but I think it was, I, I presume it was a, like a conscious decision to then, once they've lost Brian Cox, to rotate the intelligence officer, because you can see it quite a few through Ross. And, uh, yeah. it, 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 feels, it feels conscious to cast it. Except
4: Nairn is in the books, right? Nairn yeah, so, is in the books, so, uh, but Ross and um,
8: no. Manuel are. It's
3: probably a bit unfair to ask you this, because um, he's not a book aficionado, but it, it has been asked if Scots were underused in the production of Sharp. I guess that's one more for the historians, isn't it? I guess it
2: probably is. I mean,
3: yeah. there
2: wasn't very... Were there many other Scots around? Brown Cox, of course. Um, Irish. Brown?
4: Yeah, no, sorry. You mean his character was Irish? Oh, yes, yes,
2: yes, yes. Okay, yes, right. Yeah. Um yeah so no i
8: can't I can't really answer that.
3: no, there's not many are there, Is there no, any should there no, be much. more
8: I was trying to think that there's some of the ones like Sharp's Fury, which has got uh, lord Lindock, uh, Graham he's in, but he that's one of the books that was written later, and like shoehorned in yeah. he's a great character, Graham so no, I don't think the the Scots are very well represented in the books either, unfortunately, yeah, that's and this nice. one. <laughs>
0: And thinking about the, the series, I mean, you see the Black Watch in the background, which appear in a, a couple of, um, shots out there with their, their kilts and so on. Um, but they're not hugely represented In, in
8: Sharp Sword, they turn up the ba- and the, and uh, the, the Major leads the attack. And no one even
0: explains
1: yeah. where, where the Black Watch have turned up from. They just are there. <laughs> I mean, right. they're in the, idea stories a bit more. Isn't, isn't Lennox a Scot in Eagle? Yes.
4: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, I think Bernard was quite not obsessed, but Bernard liked that motif of the Irish-English, the Irish-English thing. He liked a bit of that, uh, Ber- uh, Bernard. So I think he wove that through mostly than a Scottish-English
8: antagonist. Yes, there's quite but, a strong, there's quite a strong Irish vibe in the, in the
0: books and production. I guess, yeah. With Darrow, at least. Well, in fairness, the Irish were about a third of the British army. So. Uh, but then, having said that, the Scots were probably about a quarter of the British army. So, you know,
3: Ian Jake Barton says, <laughs> "Don't don't be scared. It's alright." Thought you did a great job of being an ass in the beginning and really turning things around to be more likable by the end. Takes skill to do that, I imagine. Um, Was it written that way, or did you try and shoehorn that in to like to so it wasn't like you didn't want to become a caricature?
7: Oh, that's a good question. Um it was uh, written, but obviously, you know, um, Tom was very good at allowing the actors, if they had a good argument, to pursue what they what they felt. And I, I thought that um, Ayers was a terrific character. And, you know, he's he's trying to behave as if he's older than he is. He's very inexperienced and he's in this difficult position of, you know, being, um, you know, he, he must anticipate that it's going to be deeply unpopular. Um, you know, his, um, his angle on, you know, policing the army. Um, and I think also, you know, He's got a few other things going on. I think he has the hots for Ellie and uh, doesn't really know how to deal with that. So he's sort of rude to her and then, um, you know, jealous of of Sharp. Um, so there's a lot going on. And I think that he's learning on the job. And I think that, um, you know, he gradually realizes what's important so I do think there is a a real human journey for him you know um although you know looking back on it you know perhaps it could have been um done in a more polished way
3: we have the inevitable question as well so the first reunion we did had Sean in it and it transpired that he liberated half the set um when he left after each episode um, as collectibles, so everyone would like to know did you retain anything from your time on shop Ian
7: I don't think I did. I bought a uh, a Russian watch um, which um, broke after about six months <laughs> uh, um, but it was very uh, attractive but I, I think that's all I took.
3: you didn't take the helmet home then
7: no hated the helmet
3: <laughs> Peter. <laughs>
6: No, I what was there to take? I, just, I don't remember anything. Well,
3: after Sean was finished, not a lot.
6: Oh, right. <laughs> no, I didn't take it
3: I,
2: I, I have a flagon somewhere, and I think it's in the, on the set of, of Sword, perhaps, with Monroe's something or other, somebody, you know, is very appropriate kind of... I haven't got it here, unfortunately. If I'm going to do another of these, I will find it and bring it bring it to the screen next time if we do one of
4: above sword or a battle. It was it pewter? Was it pewter or, or porcelain? What was it? it was uh, porcelain. Porcelain, What I thought of when I was watching is that crazy hat you wear. The I know, or- I know. And that hat created so many problems with lighting and uh,
2: all oh, that kind of stuff. Of and then it was, it was kind of then it was altered because it was it was proving too much to... I was very grateful for it because the, the heat was so exciting. I was
4: going to say it was a great sunshade, but it looks totally yeah, like yeah, a lampshade yeah, yeah, on the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. I love it.
3: Mm. Apple, did you take anything? Well, I, I bought
5: some wonderful caviar, which was very, very good, but I ate it. So I have of this feeling. But also I have, I have a good story about Sharp that, uh, I will never, I will never forget it. Uh, in, in Spain, Sharp wasn't known at all. So, uh, w- when they called me to do that, I thought, okay, well, it was one more uh, movie. But, uh, uh, when I went to to London, I, a friend of mine told me, wow, are you going to do something in Sharp? That's marvelous. It's great. I love it. It's the best, the best TV show I ever seen. Well, I thought, okay, it's, that's wonderful. Then, we had to travel to Crimea and my wife was coming with me, Gloria, and, uh, and uh, the company they, they they send us the tickets to to take the plane. We went to Heathrow to take the plane uh, going to to uh, Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in the tickets it said Mr. and Mrs. Folk. And you know that in Spain women that doesn't change the name don't change the name when they get married.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: So my wife is still called Gloria Casanova, not not Gloria Folk. And. In the door, in the control of passports in Heathrow, they, they said, okay, this doesn't work. You, you're not called Mrs. Falk, so you can't, you can't fly to Istanbul. We said, wow, look at that. In Spain, women doesn't, don't change the name, though. So it's she is my wife. We have to, uh, uh, an ID, Libro de Familia, a family book we call in Spanish. We, we had documentation to prove it. But this guy didn't believe us until we took a, a, a letter, from, from Sharp's mm. company, uh, giving us, uh, telling me, okay, you will, you have to come to London and then you will fly to Istanbul. I shown this letter to that guy and this, this guy read Sharp and he said, no are you going to work in Sharp? <laughs> yes, I said, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. Go, go, <laughs> <laughs> then I had to go through a couple of more controls inside of Hydro and all of them were waiting for me, saying, oh, you are the one who's working in Sharp. Said, go, 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 go. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I really realized that Sharp was a very important thing in, in, in England and that uh, it opens all the doors.
3: Yeah, there's some worrying things to be said about airport security in that case, but that's pre-911. Um,
4: I have a, I have a similar story. I'll, I'll try and do yeah. it quickly. So we're shooting in Turkey, fourth year and Turkey, obviously Istanbul. So I had a few days off, four, five, six days off. I said to Tom, Tom, can I nip to Ukraine? Because Natasha had taken our new baby to live in Yalta while I was shooting in Turkey. So, um, I had been used to going in and out of, Yolte Sinferopo without with impunity but traveling as a private citizen which I was at that point without the all-encompassing shield of Sharp I get to the customs and uh they didn't want to let me in I I I wanted you know I wanted to pay and I made the mistake I'm coming to see my wife and daughter and my wife and son and he's like oh that's that's not right no no you must be on so luckily um if you remember Igor Igor was the interpreter very well spoken um um he's natasha's best mate and he could see from through the window that i was getting through some sort of trouble so he had to come through he spoke to one of the colonels at the airport said look that's a guy from sharp blah, blah, and i was let through thank god but funnily enough that weekend they showed a sharp marathon on russian telly so when i came back through the guy was my buddy i was like "Ah, yeah fuck <laughs> you mate so i, heard <laughs> a, I had it same sort of in reverse of you know Inverse sort of a situation. And
3: um, I would be failing our listeners if I did not go round the room and ask you all about. So they love hearing about the privations of filming Sharp in the Crimea and how much you all suffered. Um, not when in the, I think they stopped short of laughing at David Chalton because he was actually genuinely very ill, wasn't he? Um, but they love hearing about things like Bacongate. So, what is your worst memory of filming Sharp's Gold? Hugh? Uh,
2: well, I was very unfortunate in that in. Uh, I got shingles Mm. and um, it was ghastly and uh, they misdiagnosed it and they had these extraordinary uh, Ukrainian doctors who came around with sort of chef's hats on and they made me, they they suggested rubbing all sorts of stuff into it. And by the time I had my first break and went back to England, it was, I mean, it was like I had this, I've still got a photograph somewhere, this suppurating thing on my chest, which was which was the, uh, and I had to shoot the long scene with, um, El Casco, with Abel, uh, one night, a big night shoot. Do you remember Abel? Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and, um, I, I'd been, t- I'd, I'd been absolutely confined to bed with nurse Hugh Fraser looking after me, morning, noon and night. <laughs> and, um, there was a lot to say on that scene. And I remember actually, you know, the thing, this thing. Dr. Footlights, How You Rise to the Occasion, thinking I'd never get through the night. But we did, and it was done. But every time I look at it, I think, God, you would never know how much agony I was actually in then. So... um, as I say, the, 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 that was the worst part of it all. And then when we, everything got better, as the I mean, because you get a and get better quite quickly when you get back to the UK. But
4: they didn't give me any of that. It was a great drama altogether. Mm. Thank you. Uh, we had to we had to quit. We had to stop filming one night. I remember.
2: For that's the right. And, and, Chris, and Chris yeah. doubled for my back. There was a shot ah. of Chris', Chris uh, back view. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah. It was very it was, it was hideous. In but, fact I think I videoed you uh, being treated by the doctor, remember? His story, his story. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's right, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. However, I mean and the scars have all gone now in things to say, but uh, <laughs> it was a nasty moment. Mm.
4: But we were used to that Sharp. We were used to these weird physical things happening to our bodies. Yes, and, yes. and David David Troughton was terribly ill
2: for ages, wasn't yeah, he?
4: Yeah. And, and John, John Tarrant
3: Tam- as well. Was yeah. he not? He basically disappeared weight loss wise, didn't he? John mm-hmm. Tarrant
4: yeah. missed lots of filming and was yeah. uh, you know holed up in his room for a lot of the time. Yeah.
2: Muir thought it was terribly good for you, you know, to be ill and kind of he was a great like it'll make a man of you, you know, kind of uh, this kind of. <laughs>
4: Well, that's, that's where I, I sort of take my title of my book from because I feel the Crimea completely wasted us, made us pissed off, made us wanted to kill the producers and it lent it made us look like soldiers, you know, who were on campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right, yeah. we were gaunt, we were pissed off, we were starving and yeah. we would love to have killed our
6: producers and directors. Sometime. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Peter, what about you? At what point did you think, bugger this, I'm going home?
6: No, no, I mean like... A- I enjoyed it because I was very curious about the country. Mm -hmm. The cast was very nice. The only bad moment, I'm afraid I mentioned already, when that actor threatened to turn me into pulp. Um, And I was terrified, frankly, because it had never happened to me before. Otherwise, um, no, it was fine. i travelled around. So I made friends with a
7: lot of people and it was great. Well, I mean, for me, you know, I was... uh 24 or something. Um, I was so thrilled to get the job um, and to go, you know, I'd been in Berlin in 91 for the fall of the Berlin wall. So to go to Ukraine was such a thrill, Um, you know, and I, I look back as well and feel as, you know, Westerners sometimes do you, you almost fetishize, these situations because you know you're you're looking at really poor people who are really struggling I mean you just going into some of the local shops it was it was extraordinary there'd be like sort of a pack of cigarettes and a battery on the shelves Mm. and um you know as actors and well just as people you find that fascinating um so I do feel conflicted about my um reactions but i was just i found the whole thing very romantic um you know and of, uh, you know the and this bizarre situation where you know you've got a drought going on and uh you know we're having to wash ourselves from these buckets but i do appreciate you know that i was a young healthy guy and that i <coughs> you know as time went on i could feel that um you know other people were getting ill um you know actresses you know were menstruating etc you know when were, were cockroaches everywhere and it's just like mm-hmm. you know things were getting awful and you know um some of the food was her, probably the worst food i've ever eaten on any um you know on any work that I've ever done, sort of like rotting cauliflower at points. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, and actors love their food so much and we're normally totally spoiled, you know. Um, So, you know, it got to a point where we went on strike.
3: This is the bacon riot. Is this the Dimitri bacon riot or is it another strike?
4: This is the chernamori water action. Okay. Which i carry on here, and I'll fill in when you. When you so, uh,
7: you know, and I found, uh, again, here I am sort of um, trying to be mature and everything, but in the back of my mind, I'm absolutely thrilled. I, you know, as an actor, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a labor guy, but you know, I never expected that I would ever be able to go on strike. Um, and I remember calling my agent and saying, look, you know, um, this is the situation. Um, we feel that we need a short, sharp wake up to production in order to get this um, situation back to a reasonable level. And my agent, Jeanette Chalmers was, was such a wonderful woman. She was totally supportive. Um, and I remember we spoke to equity as well, and they were horrified, you know, uh, they were saying, get back to work Um as far as I remember. So it was a strange situation of your agent being more uh, in favor of strike action than than your union. And um, I remember a wonderful moment. Sorry, I'm rambling for ages here. But I remember a, a wonderful moment where um, we <clears throat> began the strike and one or two of the actors uh, felt that what that meant was that they were on holiday. So they started drinking vodka and very quickly John Tams um, bursts out of his room and uh, sends everybody back to, to to sit in their rooms and wait patiently, um, explaining. He was like the shop steward, basically, explaining that, um, you know, we, we had to be serious about this. We had to be ready to work. Um, and it was just magnificent um watching him um putting out the fire
4: i think it was only peter hugo daly that decided to uh have hair of the dog basically because we were we you know the reason it came about is because we had had several water cutoffs yeah 94 degrees you want to you want to come home you want to shower you want to wake up in the morning and you want to take a shit and flush it. And we weren't able to do that. So that happened a few times. There was a water meeting and they said, the next time you wake, and they said, no, they said, when we get to Yalta, everything will be fine. Everything's going to be great. If, if it happens, you can, you can, you can hold me to that. So the first morning when we got to Yalta, we turned on the taps. There was no water. So what pushed it was Sean had finally had enough. So Sean said, that's it, lads. We're out on strike. And that was it. So if we didn't have Sean backing us up all the way, it would probably wouldn't have happened like that. So he was the first one to call his agent. Yet we had to wait. We were three hours ahead of London. So we got up at six in the morning. We're supposed to be down in our cars. So we had to wait for three hours for our agents to open. So we were kicking our heels on the corridor. The sort of classic situation where the big boss is trying to... Peel away the, the less the less strong ones, you know. But Sean, John, Dara, the top revolutionaries. So we are okay.
3: I have to ask Matt. You're sitting here, and this this like inspired you not only to read, but to do history as well. Have you got any questions you want to ask the guys?
1: I've got one for Peter actually, because the the Will Nugent character, in it it, it he's sort of mentioned all the way through until that great scene in the cave where you're sort of mumbling in your shirt. Um, i was sort of wondering when 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 you were offered it, and you saw that, and you have that great scene at the end with Jane as your as your memory's starting to come back. Sort of what 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 you thought of what you thought of a role, and when you know your first appearance in the script is basically a bit out of it, mumbling in a dirty shirt in um, in a Spanish cape.
6: Um, I can't really remember, but I think that I, I think I've played other parts that maybe were a bit similar in my life of of people who didn't make much sense. So um no, okay. I found the whole thing interesting. I didn't I don't I you know, I met the director I think once before, Tom. Um, yeah, I was happy to do it and it was an adventure. It was a great adventure. I didn't really I mean I hadn't I hadn't seen a lot of the sharp episodes, so I didn't really know what to expect. But I found the whole thing very interesting and um sorry to be very boring. Uh but um it was a pleasure.
3: I just I love that your whole approach seems to have been rather zen-like, and like the rest of all the madness passed you by.
6: It did, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do remember about the food being absolutely disgusting.
2: Mm. And that and then, big, that, the big dining hall. It was a kind of huge, big dining. It was like being into terrible institution, but you know, and, corrective institution.
6: And do you remember all those women who cleaned the dining hall in the morning, but by nine o'clock when they cleaned it? they all went on to vodka. Yes.
8: They
6: used to see these huge glasses of vodka. And I thought, hmm, if only one could start now. <laughs>
7: that, that was another bad memory I had, was that our driver um, passed out while driving the car because he was so drunk.
4: Oh, God.
7: <laughs> and, nearly, and nearly drove into a, 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 a telegraph pole.
4: The incident where... Um... Where in the car, Ian, which is in my book from Crimea with Love, out now, pre-order, from Unbound. Um, the ring. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, it's called cool, from Crimea with Love. So Ian Ian was driving in uh, Lyndon in my car. We're used to it by now. We, we just crash out. We get in the car and we crash. We know we might die. Hey, we're being paid. So on this particular morning, I think we weren't so hungover, so we were a bit awake. And, uh, yeah, the guy fell asleep and the car sort of veered. And we were kind of cool, hey buddy, buddy. But Ian was absolutely freaked out. So which was great because then we could go to the producers and say, because we'd always had this long-running fight. They would they used to put us in minivans, all of us all together. Even Paul McGann at the beginning was chucked into a minivan. And we had to say, listen, you know, we 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 need to have cars. So then Sean got a car, and then you know, we would be sharing cars. So there was a whole transport um ruck going on. So it was great that it happened in front of Ian. So we could go to Chris Burns say, "Look, see, see, see. Not mm. that anything changed, but it was great to have Ian on our side."
3: Apple, what was your worst memory, other than obviously all the armor and the heat?
5: <laughs> no, I, I, I think uh, normal experiences are never remembered, mm-hmm. and uh, only only hard or lovely or something, but some extremely uh, something experiences are remembered. So. I remember very much about that because I, I was living intensively that thing. Uh, I, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't comfortable the, the the place. But I have to say that I learned how to take a shower with one and a half liter of water, for example. <laughs> that's that's very useful. Absolutely, and and uh, and also I, I I think my memory is very selective, and 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 I, I always remember the good things. So uh, I, I have a, be- a very happy. A very happy remember memories of that. And also, uh, I, 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 well, unfortunately I could shoot quite a lot of movies in my life and uh, I can tell you that I was shooting in very, very worst, much worse situations than the one we had in, 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 in Crimea, you know.
3: I think I, I've only known you about an hour and a half, but I'm sensing that you're one of these people that if you ever do lose your rag, people know they've gone too far because you're quite laid back, aren't you?
5: Yeah, no, that's that's right. That's right. I, I, I remember one day that, uh, as, as I told you, I went there with my wife. Also, I was advised, advised at the beginning, then Chris or, 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 or Muir, they told me, are you sure that your wife is going to come with you? Because Crimea is not exactly a play, a place where I had to go on holidays uh, and, and I said well no problem uh, she, she would love to come with me and and th- that the first two three days there there was no food at all we, we had some some potatoes and um, something else but not very much food and I had I had to have a, a situation <laughs> with Chris to say okay Chris uh, if you don't get an egg or something to do an omelet for Gloria I have to I'll have to do some sort of... And I think I was a little bit upset because the act the, the appeared immediately.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah because that, that year we were also, it was part of the budget constraints and they, they hired one of the, bless them, one of the cheapest caterers ever in British uh, in, uh, film industry. They were They were just, they were awful. And they had a, such a weedy little food truck, and it was also dirty. And they were all the chefs were getting wasted twenty four hours a day. I mean, they had to wake up at like two in the morning to feed us at five, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would party till twelve or one. So, yeah, yeah. You don't
3: get to judge anyone about the amount of partying that they did because I know what you and Lyndon were up to.
8: This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Still want to drink with Cocky after the yeah, last? Yeah, this podcast. is my lifelong is, ambition.
3: Yeah. Now is a night out with Michael Cocky. Can we can we arrange this, Jason?
8: Can we go yeah. post-lockdown beers
4: with Cocky? I think we'll have to once we're back to no lockdowns. I've been I love Cocky. Yeah, <laughs> I'll buy the, every I'll buy story he
3: had involved him yeah. getting someone wasted. It was brilliant.
4: Yeah. There's a there's a great story which we will tell when we get to Sharp Sword Hugh and you'll hear. But anyway, it's worth it twice. Was um, uh, Sean didn't like flying. Uh-huh. so we were coming back on sharp three and sean decided to go overland to moscow on the rail and then fly to london and fly to lisbon so it's massive security route and we were all flying direct from yeah, yeah. to lisbon a flight that doesn't exist it was built on a charter flight so um so cocky and and uh and john tams and sean and igor the interpreter are on on the uh on the train and Cocky's drinking drinks with the stewardess, getting her, getting her drunk, having a lovely time. And, um, he, he sort of persuades her to sit and, and light up one of these things they call a the jazz cigarette. And, um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just as he lit it, <laughs> there was a bang at the door <laughs> and, and everyone pretended to be asleep apart from Cocky. <laughs> So the border guard comes in, takes, look, he must have been tipped off who they were, took one look, probably counted the body, said, show and went out again. But they, they all thought they were about to go down to the Ljubljana for a, for a few years. Oh, <laughs> I'll let copy tell a story. It's in my book, From Crimea With Love. Oh,
3: yes, Is it in right the right. book,
4: Jason? Yes, I it It's, uh, it's my it memoir. When does it come out? It comes out July the 7th. July the 7th, yes. But <laughs> anyone that... <laughs> anyone needs to hire
3: Hugh as your publicist for this. <laughs> this is great.
4: Anyone that's doing this podcast now, I will send you a word copy of it that's the final yes, draft. Yes, because Hugh Fraser tells me he's already seen a, a, a pre yes.
7: yes, I know. Yeah. Well, I'll send you one too. Yeah, so, yeah. anyway, there you go. <laughs>
4: okay,
7: lovely. Um, <laughs> just to give some people an idea of what it was like to fly in Russia those days... Mm. The flight that I took uh, from Moscow to Simferopol, it was either that way or going back. Uh, I sat next to a woman with a chicken on her lap in the cage (laughs) um, as I sat there fumbling, trying to do up my seatbelt, which didn't work. But uh, just to give you some idea of what it was like in those days.
4: Well, well, it's funny you say that because when we would do the charter flight from Simferopol to Lisbon, we did it twice. Um, you know, we were getting completely wasted on the plane. But I had a death wish or something. When we came into land, Lyndon and I would stand up in the aisle and we, we would surf as the plane landed. We'd be surfing, <laughs> standing in the aisle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, we were doing some crazy stuff on those planes. It was like Air Force One and the Rolling Stones uh, private plane mixed into one kind of thing.
3: Uh, the Russians probably looked at you two and just thought natural selection will take care of these idiots at some well, point. Well, y- yes, yes, and- yes and no,
4: because <laughs> we would also, um, a part of um, that stash of jazz cigarettes that Cocky had, we would often put all of our collective stash into a cake when we flew to Lisbon. So we'd have a cake, a space cake, and someone decided to give the pilot a slice. Oh. And he ate it! He ate it! (laughs) A slice of bloody space cake and we were flying to fucking Lisbon! Yeah, the flights were crazy. All in my book. (laughs) (laughs) Which comes out when? July the 7th. It's uh, by (laughs) Unbound. Uh, You can pre-order now. Okay.
3: Jason, there's another cast member, isn't there? Natasha, get round (laughs) the other side of the flag. You are in Sharp's Gold. I was. How did you channel yourself to uh, to portray a witch so convincingly? <laughs> well, clearly Jason still feels I am one. Still <laughs> no. <can take laughs> no, no. <me> <laughs> 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 so you are in the end of it, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so
4: in... but I don't see her. That's the trouble.
8: Oh,
3: She's... did it c- get cut? It was inside that cave. It yeah, in the weird. cave, yeah. It was so
8: hot.
1: It's... a really realistic cave with no polystyrene anywhere. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: I just say thanks to just in case you never invite me back for one of these things, just to thanks to all all the cast and everything, because, you know, these, these, these stories sort of opened everything up for me. And it it was the first two shows that sort of made me convince my dad to buy me the book when we were on holiday for Sharps Gold, this exact copy right here. Um, So it's all your fault, really. As I'm sitting here surrounded by books that my bank manager complains about regularly. But um, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you very much for the shows and Abel for making a conquistador's hat look menacing.
3: Oh, geez. guys, thank you so oh, much God. for coming thank on you. and thank reliving you. Sharp Gold for Goodbye. us. It's been outstanding. People have been dying for us to get to this episode because um, it is bonkers, but it's just as lovable as every other Sharp episode. Thank thanks you so that, much. Thanks, much. Thanks, yes. thank, thank you all for me. coming.
6: It's great.